0: The Boroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast.
1: We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith.
2: And one of us doesn't have a faith.
1: But we still love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things.
2: The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for
3: listening and speculating with us.
2: There you go. That was good. Yes. Songs,
4: songs, songs. <laughs> <laughs> You are listening to The Burroughs of Berea.
0: Well, welcome back to The Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Sarita the Edge, Edgerton.
1: I'm all the eye candy you'll need today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) woo I was thinking that like like a Charleston Chew, old and nobody wants it anymore. That's,
1: That's
3: exactly. I'm not right. Right. talking about you. I'm talking That's about myself. That's
1: exactly right.
3: What's that make me a Clark Bar? Because
1: I'm going to be. I'm about to be fitty.
3: Fitty. I'm
1: about to be fitty next month. Oh my gosh,
0: we oh, need
3: to have a birthday wow. party. for I now. know. I looked in the mirror this morning. I think I'm more like a big hunk <laughs> behind the
1: glass. Chunky Chew.
0: Rocket
3: Man, Andy Bishop, <laughs> <laughs> straight out of Compton,
0: Ralph Hicks, represent, and Cherry the Annihilator Lewis.
1: Hello. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no music, no nothing, just straight up. She's the annihilator today. Well, so we uh, I'm excited about tonight. Uh, our guest, uh, I spoke with him, well, I actually just tonight for the first time I spoke with him, but it was uh, via email in the past. I was introduced to him via uh, Bobby, Bobby Crookshank, you know, Mr. Oh, yeah. Bob Crookshank. He has a lot of contacts and he, you know, through his contacts, he introduced him. So our guest tonight is Dr. Craig Olson. He has taught the Bible For over three decades in New Zealand, Asia, and the USA. He currently teaches at Trinity Southwest University and Veritas International University. He received his PhD from Dallas Theological Seminary and has published articles on biblical archaeology, the long lifespans in Genesis, and the patriarchal Chronology, and he's also the author of the book, How Old Was Father Abraham? The Genesis Lifespans and Light of Archaeology. Dr. Craig Olson, thanks for being on the Burroughs of Berea.
4: Oh, wow. Well, thank you, guys. I'm very excited to be here, and and I appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit about myself and, of course, uh, talk a bit about the book.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So, I've read the book, and I uh, was—it was actually—I'd never really heard this position before, so it was very unique. We're going to get into it. I know you—you—you um, I come from yep. a young earth creation background, and so um, I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll be going back and forth on that. But um, before that, what? normally with the testimony episode, I always ask this our guests this question, and if you've never listened to this, it'll be somewhat surprising for you, but perhaps you can give us an answer. To the best of your ability, can you tell me your earliest memory of when you heard the name Jesus Christ?
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was young. I uh, grew up going to Sunday school uh, in New Zealand in a uh, brethren church. You call it Plymouth Brethren over here. And uh, so my parents actually were not churchgoers. Uh, they, they believed in God. They, they believed they were Christians. But they uh, sent myself and my sister and my brother off to Sunday school. And um, so uh, we got to hear the gospel at a young age and learn about the scriptures and so I you know, grew up learning the Bible, memorizing scripture and that kind of thing. And I thought uh, when I was younger, I always thought that I was a Christian because all my friends were Christians and I went to church. So I did the same things that they did. I, I got into trouble like they did and, and <laughs> right. went to the different same, same church meetings they did. And it wasn't until I was uh, 16 years old that I. Um, that the gospel became something uh, real to me. And I realized, well, wait a minute, uh, I am actually a sinner. And uh, just going to church and doing these activities is not uh, what it takes to uh, to be saved.
0: And and how old were you, did you say?
4: I was 16. Oh, 16. And, uh, yeah, 16 years old. And uh, I was at an Easter camp uh, that we had in New Zealand and um, getting to hear the Bible and Nothing that I heard was new, but I uh, just uh, it just hit me that I realized that uh, that I was a sinner and I needed uh, I needed to be forgiven for my sins, and I needed to uh, to let uh, Christ be uh, guiding my life. And so uh, I they had an altar call, and I went forward and and talked to the uh, the minister and all of that. And so um, that was kind of where it all started for me.
3: Wow.
0: So, so take us from there. So at the age of 16, uh, you've been raised in church. So you've been around um, Mm -hmm. the gospel, you've been around church, Sunday school, all of it. And then you have this, you know, this is a radical change at the age of 16. And then, so tell us, sort of take us on that journey, you know, of your life. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you're a very well Mm -hmm. uh, studied man. Where did, I'm, I'm so sorry, where did you grow
1: up?
4: I grew up in New Zealand, the New most Zealand. beautiful country in the world. Yeah.
1: The land of the hobbits. <laughs>
4: yeah, it is beautiful. The land of the hobbits, exactly. I, it's, it's on right. my bucket
0: list. I want to go. I really mm-hmm. do.
1: So my first, well, my second real pastor that I ever studied under or sat under after I became a Christian as an adult um, was uh-huh. from New Zealand. His grandfather founded the New Zealand Communist Party.
4: Mm-hmm. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, and he went to a revival
1: uh-huh. held by Major Thomas mm-hmm. and to... to speak out against him so major wow. thomas uh, mm-hmm. charged him with proving the bible false he went home that right. night to try right. to do that and ended up accepting christ on his knees in his dorm room in the middle of the night and became wow. a missionary to the states
4: fantastic that's great yeah and that's so i do you
1: sounded then... familiar
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, I love to hear stories about New Zealanders. Uh, there's not too many of us around, um, but uh, we do make an impact, so that's a good thing. Yeah. So tell
0: us. But, so from the age of 16 uh, to becoming to, to earning a mm-hmm. doctorate, you
4: know, uh, take us on that journey. Really, I'm really curious. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. So I in high school I didn't really grow very much in my faith, but then when I went to university. Uh, in Auckland University, I got in touch. I found a group called uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, they were doing something that I'd always heard about and never knew, had done before. Uh, this was called evangelism. And I was like, well, I, I thought we were supposed to do that. So, you know, let me let me get involved. And so we, um, uh, they would... Uh, we would meet together and do discipleship and then we would talk to other students about our faith. And as a young student, I was, uh, terrified. And, uh, but I really grew through the discipleship that they offered that not only a, a, Bible study meeting, but then meeting one-on-one with my discipler and, uh, and then getting to talk to other people about our faith and kind of growing so that when I finished and graduated from college, I, uh, I had a choice, um, well, not really a choice. I applied for lots of different jobs. I graduated engineering, was my undergraduate degree, and I didn't get any jobs at all. And then I thought on the off chance, yeah, let me just apply for Campus Crusade for Christ staff.
2: What sort of engineering? I didn't
4: really, uh, chemical engineering. Oh, wow, that's intense. Yeah, that's,
2: yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah Sorry, so, I'm just curious. Um, no, uh, but yeah, my life took a turn because I, I got accepted uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ and I thought, you know what, I'm young, I'm single, let me do this Christian thing for a couple of years and then I'll get an engineering job and uh, it turned out a little different from that. <laughs> so it's turned out uh, I was with Campus Crusade for over 30 years and uh, did uh, campus ministry in New Zealand and then came over here uh after 10 years of doing campus ministry i was married i had a kid uh, my wife is from the states and um, so we ended up coming over here to uh, do two-year study for a master's degree and uh, that ended up turning into uh, be a little bit longer than two years and so i um Yeah, so I enjoyed uh, studying at Dallas Theological Seminary, and while I was studying there, I was working with uh, a ministry, uh, with a guy by the name of Josh McDowell Ministry. Uh, You may have heard of him. Yes, he's one of my heroes. Uh, Yeah, so I uh, got to be involved in translating uh, Josh's books in uh, Asia, and so for a little more than a decade, I would travel to Asia and meet with – Uh, ministry leaders and uh, Christian publishers, and sit down with them, just ask them the question, what do you need? How can we resource you? And uh, so based on what they wanted, uh, we were able to get books translated in um, about 12 different Asian countries, about 25 different books. Wow. Resulting in, um, while I was there, you know, about half a million books or more being translated. sold, printed, or distributed uh, for free in different countries. So I really enjoyed that. That's amazing. And so uh, after that, I, I really had a desire for, to teach the Bible more. So I came, we came back. We went to Dallas Seminary some more, and I ended up, we moved our family to the country of Singapore and uh, taught at a seminary in Singapore, actually a couple of different seminaries, in Singapore for a couple of years and just loved that. I love Singapore. I've been there. It's a beautiful country. Yeah, yeah, very beautiful, very expensive. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> Do not chew gum
0: there. <laughs> no. Not it's true. And when you get into Changi Airport, it's it's mm. really strict there. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. You you can't know. chew gum.
0: You cannot chew gum. You cannot chew gum. Nope. And if uh, you that's are against caught, the law, well, you would consider a misdemeanor charge with like drugs here. Uh, is like punishable by death. <laughs> Singapore wow. are very
3: strict. Yeah, about that.
2: you remember those, some of the, there was, I think it was 10, 20 years, it was a while ago, there was a couple news stories about Americans.
3: Getting lashes.
2: Yeah, getting, yeah, getting yes. caned and stuff. Yeah, like, uh, Singapore, yeah they got caned, yeah. It was Michael, mm-hmm. somebody, he got caned, I
0: can't remember his last name. Michael but, Caned. No, but he got, no. <laughs> but he got caned. He got so many <laughs> lashes and it's a very painful thing, you know, but anyway, mm-hmm. sorry about that. Uh, I assume yeah, you didn't no. get caned while you were in Singapore. I hope we not. I did not. No. He, he probably would have
2: uh, different views about the country. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it is mm-hmm. English speaking Singapore.
4: Right. Mm-hmm. And so I got to um, teach in English and uh, I got to teach students from about, um, you know, 10 or 15 different um, countries. And so the great thing was that here I am equipping these younger, uh, this next generation, and they're going to go back to their own country, or some of them are going to go cross-culturally uh, to other countries uh, and go places that I couldn't go. And so I take the gospel even further and uh, be able to teach and equip you know, the next generation of, of leaders in the church. So we re- I really enjoyed that. That's amazing. So, you know, this kid that grows up
0: in New Zealand ends up, Mm -hmm. you know, coming to the States, Dallas Theological Seminary. I mean, that that's, uh, you know, for for us here in the you know in our country, that's a major institution that pumps out a lot Mm -hmm. of preachers and evangelists and missionaries all over the world. So, uh, that's the guy who married
1: me was a DTS. He's now a pastor in Austin at a real big church.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Who do you remember? Who was
4: the president whenever you were there? Well, when I got here, Chuck Swindoll was a president. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, that was that was great. Um, that was really good. I mean, he, he's such a great communicator. I'm going to have you pause just for one moment. Dr. Olson,
0: one of our cast members, just came in.
3: Hey, Ricky Ritz,
0: The Next, Dominator.
2: Mr. Carter.
1: Welcome back, oh, Carter. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Welcome back. I, I said I apparently set that microphone for a midget.
3: <laughs> well, the, look, I'm very short well, when you, I sit down. Well, you got it right.
1: Diversity, equity, and inclusion. You're trying to do the DEI.
2: Thing. I just thought maybe he'd want to lay on the ground. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Giving him options. Well, Big Daddy Carter
0: just walked in the studio. Oh he, he was, yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> we we had to interrupt there for a second there. So sorry, um, Mr. Greg. Uh, yeah, Doctor. Doctor, Dr. Craig, concur, Dr. Dr. Doctor Craig, Doctor Olson. <laughs> so yeah, so Chuck Swindoll was the president at Dallas Theological Seminary when you came there the first time. Wow.
4: Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, but I ended up studying a, a long time after we were in Singapore. Uh, we came back here, and that's when I started the PhD. And um, uh, they told me it would take five to six years, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it in four. And uh, took me seven. So. All right.
2: <laughs> that's compromise. Oh. That's the nature of
4: compromise. Yeah. They I know a lot of people. Six, that, I
2: said four, so we did seven. Uh, I know a lot of people that yeah, squeezed a go. four-year
0: bachelor's degree into seven. Well, that's how they
3: got
4: Methuselah's age. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All <laughs> right, Exactly. And so once I got into the PhD, my uh, interest uh, shifted. I um, got to go on a tour of Israel. And um, while we were there, uh, they were talking about a site across in the country of Jordan, uh, the site of Sodom. And I was like, wait a minute, I've heard about a different site for Sodom. So I ended up doing some research on the two major different sites for Sodom and uh, changed everything with my dissertation and ended up uh, doing my dissertation on the uh, lifespans in Genesis and how that relates to chronology and especially how that relates to archaeology of the uh, biblical sites. Uh, and so that's, that's what led to the book uh, coming out. This has been an interest of yours uh, for a long time. Yeah, several years. So during the um, uh, dissertation, I uh, was always interested in this, and then I got to dig at uh, an archaeological site that we believe is Sodom. I uh, went there first in 2015, and then again in 2018, and uh, so I got to get down on my hands and knees in the dirt and and dig up artifacts from from uh, the time of Abraham, which uh, you you wouldn't think that's exciting, you know. I tell people, hey, you, you can you can raise your own funds, <laughs> pay your own <laughs> way, <laughs> and. Ask Be a lot your- of government's permission,
2: <laughs> yeah. and they will yeah. either say no or just make sure that you don't get to leave with anything because it's not yours.
4: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And then crawl in the dirt. <laughs> yeah. You crawl in the dirt all day uh, on your hands and knees. and uh, But you know what? It's so exciting because you're in this, this square, and there's maybe, I don't know, 10 of you there, and it's kind of like fishing because you don't know what you're going to find, and somebody in your group will find something. And you'll all gather around. You're like, what is that? This is so exciting. This is something that hasn't seen the light of day for, for thousands of years. And you want to know what it is. And you, you kind of get to imagine a little bit what the lifestyle was like, um, you know, back during biblical times. So it's it's very exciting. What did, what did you find on that? Dig?
2: What, what kind of stuff do you find on a dig? Uh, at a site that's that old? Like what sort of stuff comes up kind of generally?
4: A lot of pottery. So every day you're finding pottery, thousands and thousands of sherds of pottery. And um, so, you know, they call it the, the Bronze Age or the, the Iron Age or something like that, but that's not the majority of what was used. That was The iron was the, the leading edge of technology at the time so we call it the Iron Age. But pretty much what everybody used all the time every day was pottery. It <laughs> was, was really hard dirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, been used for thousands and thousands of years. And so uh, from the pottery, then you're uh, trying to diagnose uh, different parts, either a base of, of a jug or a rim or a handle. And that helps tell you uh, what time frame it's from. And then, Oh, just uh, that, by design, kind of? Yes. By shape, yes.
2: yeah.
4: By shape, mm-hmm. yeah. So the shapes change over time, and uh, so uh, you know the way it happened. Ancient cities always pretty much built on the same place because a good, you know, in real estate, it's location, location, location. It always has been from the beginning of time, been, all <laughs> throughout all of all of human history. And so, if you've got a site that uh, is up high, so where you can see your enemies coming. It has arable land nearby that you can grow your crops. It has a source of water uh, that you need. Uh, and if, if you have a site that has those things, and usually a, a road or a trade route nearby, if you've got a site that, goes, that has those uh, elements, people stay there. And so when one uh, generation either gets wiped out by uh, an enemy or something, the next generation to come along just builds right on top. So you ever just, like, Mm. find something and you're like, this is only, like, 500 years
2: old, and you just, like, throw it and keep digging? Yeah, like a Mountain Dew bottle? (laughs) A 500-year-old Mountain Dew bottle. This is the very first Mountain Dew bottle. (laughs) Uh Uh, Uh-huh. Yeah. Did it have a Uh. code underneath the cap? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
5: Are you tired of compromising when it comes to protecting your valuable firearms? Then let us tell you about Carolina Cases, your ultimate destination for hard plastic, impact-proof pistol cases. Carolina Cases are TSA-approved and are crafted with high-quality foam, ensuring maximum protection for your firearm during transport or storage. At Carolina Cases, they understand the importance of safeguarding your investments. Carolina Cases provide unparalleled durability, keeping your pistols safe from impact and damage. So hop on over to www.CarolinaCases.net to explore their wide range of pistol cases designed to meet your specific needs. Don't settle for less. With Carolina Cases, you can ensure your firearms are safely stored, preserve your peace of mind, and protect what matters most. Enter code BURROWS at checkout to receive free shipping. <laughs> well, I was curious.
0: The, the thing that is sticking out to me, of course, is everybody knows what happened to Sodom, correct? Sure. You know what happened to Sodom, Andy?
2: do not it destroyed in a war? by fire? Oh, fire!
0: By fire and you know, and brimstone fire from heaven. And brimstone. So, uh, Doctor Olson, I'm just curious: in your dig or in other digs, can you tell me if there were any signs of that type of
4: fiery destruction in a specific time period? Oh, absolutely! And that's one of the reasons why we uh, think this is Sodom. In fact, there was a, a paper published last year in a scientific journal based on the on the research from our site. Uh, apparently, to date, it's like the most downloaded uh, paper on the from the scientific journal called Nature. Oh, yeah. I actually uh, read that. Yeah, that's a you Nature's did. not
2: exactly a small journal either. Yeah, it's a pretty prevalent. One. No, no, that's right.
4: And so it analyzed the. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. This site was completely wiped out by. It looks like a what we're calling an airburst, uh, similar to what happened in 1908 in Tunguska, Russia where a meteorite comes down into the atmosphere and explodes before reaching Earth and just causes massive destruction. And so not only this site, but all of the sites in that region were wiped out and completely destroyed. And um, so our site has this level of ash, a metre thick, all the way across the site, and, and it's completely churned up. Uh, in some cases, very few human bones, but there are human bones in there, but even the architecture and the rocks is just churned up in this because it was just in a massive... So it's like almost bombed. Right, exactly. It yeah. was
1: by God.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... And it that's was the, by I, God.
2: <laughs> 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 and, and when you look at it, you know, from the
0: biblical standpoint, you know, they're just... Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So, Cherry just pulled up a picture of that Tunguska, Russia, and that was pretty, wow. But, so, you know, Mm -hmm. being there yourself, and also from these scientific journals, that there is a layer, like you said, a meter thick of ash. Mm -hmm. So, something happened there, whether you want to agree that it's God or not, something catastrophic happened in the city of Sodom and decimated it.
4: Exactly, yeah. And so, that's what we say is, you know, whatever your theological background, you can't argue that this site was the largest uh, city uh, in the Southern Levant. It was uh, like 10 times the size of Jericho, five times bigger than Jerusalem at the time. Very wealthy, uh, very influential. And that something happened, some cosmic event that happened that wiped it out completely and all the satellite towns. and, And in fact, poisoned the soil so nothing could grow there, and nobody lived there for over 700 years. That, that was a question I was
2: curious about. How long before? Yeah, that's a long time.
4: How yeah, many people,
2: uh, do, you, do you have any idea, I guess the better say that, how many people might have been there at the time of
4: this uh, event? Uh, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Our site has, um, it's like 60-something um, acres within the city wall. It's very, very large. And uh, so, um, and people lived, you know, the, the houses that you find, people live on top of each other, right close to each other. And so there would have been a lot of people uh, in that. And it's, uh, it fits everything in the scripture in terms of the location, you know, from where Lot and Abraham looked over from where they were standing uh, between Bethel and I and looked to the east. It fits right there. It's in uh, this circular plane just north of the Dead Sea. In Genesis 13, wherein it says Lot looked over to, the call it the cities of the plain. Uh, the word is not actually plain. In fact, it's not a, a geographical word at all. It's the word uh, Hebrew word kikar, and it means a circle. So this, if you look on any satellite map or Bible map, you see this circle uh, of a plain just north of the Dead Sea called the Kikar of the Jordan, the plain of the Jordan. The site, which is called, today is called Tel El-Hammam, was right there on that that plain. And so it's in the right location, it's got the right stuff, it tells the right story. The biggest issue that people have with the site being Sodom is the chronology, Hmm. because the destruction uh, can be dated to 1700 B.C., plus or minus 50 years. So that's the issue that I started to tackle because the traditional chronology that we as evangelicals grow up with, you know, is that Abraham was born in uh, 2166 BC. And, you know, he lived 175 years and you added all that up and that doesn't fit. Yeah, he wouldn't be be near Sodom. Technically, if, if, if this
0: chronology, you know, the scientific chronology is correct, and there's no way Abraham could have been there, is what you're saying, based on the biblical.
4: Right, right. right. And so then I started to look at, well, wait a minute. What about um, other sites? And it turns out that if you stick to the, the uh, traditional evangelical chronology, you know, which is it's kind of based on, on Usher's chronology, although no one sticks to Usher's dates anymore, And if you have Abraham living around 2100 or 2000 BC, not only is this site uh, not destroyed during that time, but none of the sites in the biblical story are there. There's no Jerusalem. All of the sites that Abraham visits uh, in his uh, travels are not there. Hebron is not there. Uh, Dothan Shechem is not there. All of the ones aren't. And so I started to say, wait a minute, maybe um, our interpretation of these biblical ages and how we come up with a chronology, maybe we need to relook at that interpretation. Now, by by saying it that way, by relooking at your
0: interpretation, would you say mm-hmm. that that would be a break from what even Dallas Theological Seminary would teach in regard to this?
4: Well, it's interesting. Um, during my dissertation, uh, I had uh, a professor. In fact, I've had a couple different professors who've told me. That I've convinced them. My my dissertation and my book have convinced them. Uh, uh, professors from Dallas Seminary and others that I've talked to that uh, no, nope, I definitely have not convinced them. And of course, you know who I who I'm arguing against was one of my professors, Dr. Eugene Merrill. Um, right, you wonder- mentioned him in your book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, he's he's a very learned scholar. Uh, wonderful man. And, uh, he's he's kind of my example because we talked about this many times he he's one who will you know argue with academic rigor but yet he has this this gracious christian attitude about it about him and and how he deals with you as a person and so I'm like you know that, I want to be that i want that to be my example that you know hey we can talk about stuff and we can disagree and Let's look and try and figure out what the Bible says and what it means. Yeah, we love that here.
0: Uh, we're the same mm-hmm. way here at the Burroughs. We uh, mm-hmm. that, that Christian attitude, that is we think that's paramount. You have a difference of opinion, but that does not mean you have to destroy one another.
2: Not so much with the academic rigor, but we do our best. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh.
4: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Good point, Andy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he, uh, Dr. Merrill, published an article uh, years ago and has written about it and has kind of become the de facto chronology uh, of the, um, the patriarchal time based on the, the traditional evangelical understanding, which is that these lifespans are face value numbers. They mean exactly what they say. Uh, Abraham did live 175 years and and Isaac lived 180, and, and um, Jacob 147, and Joseph 110, and, and that we can use that to form a chronology. We know we have synchronisms further up in history, closer in history. Once you get to the time of the kings of Israel and Judah, we can match those dates with secular and other sources from the ancient Near East. And so we know those dates pretty firmly, back to maybe King Solomon or King David. And then uh, we really don't have anything further back from that. And so the, the traditional method has been, uh, for, for hundreds of years, for a couple thousand years, has been to uh, take these numbers at face value and add them all up and uh, go back to when you think Abraham lived. And the problem with that is, like I say, not only it, it just doesn't fit the chronology. Uh, the cities that Abraham's supposed to visit uh, just aren't there. I noticed.
0: So in your book, y- you talk about the literal view, and mm-hmm. how that, in reality, mm-hmm. what we're
4: calling the literal view is not actually taken literally. Yes, exactly. And so I'm very careful of, to use the word literal, and I don't I don't use it very much in the you book. Use the word it,
0: authentic. I saw
4: like authentic. authentic yes, exactly. Yeah. And so and and if I'm speaking, I, you know, I try and explain what I mean by that because the literal view, you know, as I understand it, is is what did the author intend to communicate. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to dig into um, the author's intent and that's very difficult obviously. We're we're separated by thousands of years, a different culture, a different language, a different location. So but we're trying to find out so the literal view would be what did the author actually mean? Uh, By what they said when they wrote that down. And so that takes into account the culture of the time and, um, you know, the different language. And, you know, we understand this pretty clearly when it comes to words. And uh, quite often, you know, we study the Greek or we study the Hebrew and we go back to saying, well, this word may have meant something different than that culture. And that people don't have a problem with that. And, You know, you you hear you even hear your pastor on a Sunday saying, Well, the Greek word means this and and doesn't mean that or whatever. Where people have a problem is with numbers, you know, because uh, you you and I were brought up, we were all brought up that numbers is the one thing that doesn't change. A number feels like a number. That's right. Yeah, it's like
0: a thousand is a thousand. You know, it's exactly. that simple, but love, yeah. like the word love, it's not always love in English, right? It, I mean, it is love, but there's all kinds of different meanings of it, but a thousand
4: a thousand. Okay. Exactly. And so we, and we were taught that, you know, growing up, yeah. math, mathematics is right. the universal language, like two plus two is four in every language, every country, even out in the universe, it's always the same. That's something that's universal. And so, um, Here I am trying to say, wait a minute, maybe uh, this ancient culture used numbers when they talked about the uh, lifespans or the ages of their ancestors in a different way than we do today. You know, because Mm -hmm. if I tell somebody my age uh, in our culture, uh, accuracy is paramount. Um, You know, you think, if I say my age, you think, it's exactly that uh, that's and fascinating have, I
2: never would have come at it from that angle mm-hmm. I, I never I never would have seen that coming mm-hmm. just the idea that they're not necessarily being literal time wise with age
3: mm-hmm.
2: right yeah right. that's fascinating well, it's a story it's a uh, part of the story about the person
3: one of the things I like exactly. about what exactly. you say in the book and how you do this is what was done in that time and a lot of times we forget that you know, most people in this country are educated, but most people then were not, uh, nor right. did they read or write or, you know, they did some counting so that they could buy things, but it yeah. was elementary. So mm-hmm. how did they, what what language were they using, to whom were they speaking, and in what context uh, were, they, were they doing these things, and how did they make people understand in a way that uh, for their level of education they could understand it?
4: Right, exactly. And, and what were they trying to communicate? And so one of the things that I did was I, I looked back at all of the other uh, genealogies and uh, king lists uh, from ancient time. And what I found is that the common or the most common format was that everybody uh, exaggerated or used these uh, extremely large numbers when talking about their ancient ancestors And uh, we think, we don't know, we think that was a way to give them honor. Age Um, gives them import. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: Well, now we don't like anything to have age except our cars and (laughs) some of our house decorations. But we want to do anything we can Mm -hmm. not to age at all.
0: Unless we have a really expensive antique, yeah. Like you said, the car or a good antique, yeah. So uh,
2: wild ignorance on my part. Uh, Are we still like in the same numerical system at that point and place?
4: A great question, actually, um, because the uh, first numbering system was a base 60 system. Not oh, wow. Base.
2: <laughs> Another yeah. thing I did not see coming. It's in the book. They had 60 fingers, so it only made sense yeah. at the time. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And uh, it's called sexagesimal system. And so um, uh, that's the base 60 system. And uh, actually, we still use it today. It's, it's one of the best systems because we have 60 degrees in a circle. We have 60 minutes in an hour, 60 seconds in a minute, and um, and our latitude and longitude. And this was so good because 60 is the first number that's divisible by 1 through 10 and 12 and 15 and 20 and 30. And so it's easy to divide things. In fact, we do it without even thinking, you know, if I – if you run a marathon or you, ha- you say a time, we automatically convert that to base 60. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't till the, uh, that's the, in the Mesopotamian culture. And then later on, the Egyptian culture used a base 10 system. And uh, so it's fascinating to go back and look at this uh, because actually some of the early uh, king lists, the one that I refer to the most, the Sumerian king list, Their list of of their ancient kings, all of the, it's not a lifespan, it's the length of their reign, but all of them are divisible by either 60 or 60 times 60. And so it's clear that these are symbolic numbers that we think are there to uh, give them, you know, honor to these people who were were real people who lived uh, a long time before records were written down. And this was a way to record something about them that uh, that gave them uh, honor. Did a lot of did a lot of
3: your study is a lot of your study based on uh, you know mouth to mouth transcriptions where people did oral histories because that happened I think till around three hundred mm-hmm. uh, B.C. Mostly was uh, if I got that right it mostly was uh, you know oral translations
4: yeah you know and and that's true we did uh, there was oral transmission uh, of um, uh, different genealogies and um, and so this you know we can study modern uh, some tribes today we can't study ancient cultures because if it was oral we don't have it it's not written down you know and so um, that's why pretty much the, any list, in the Bible and out of the Bible is limited to about ten people, and so you have ten people in Genesis five. You have ten people in Genesis eleven, and because in terms of memorizing and remembering something, ten is about the limit.
3: Well, that might be the that might be the limit today, but uh, I've heard of studies one recently that uh, back you know hundreds and thousands of years ago, uh, people's uh, memory was a lot greater than what ours is today because that's what they had to rely on. So what where it may be 10 today, it was probably a hundred or more, uh, mm-hmm. uh you know, several hundred years ago and maybe five hundred or, or more, you know, a thousand years ago, because that's what they had to go by. So they they grew Ralph, up Ralph's theory of these. we're all getting
2: really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Thanks yeah. a lot, Internet. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Wow,
0: so that's fascinating to me. So so just through—you found this in other cultures, in the, you know, in the Mesopotamian right. region, uh, and mm-hmm. by, by using what you saw with these other cultures, obviously the influence that could have come upon the Hebraic people was tantamount in your study. And so then you began to see these differences within the patriarchs and were able, in your opinion, to land them in the correct
4: chronology to match Wrong. actual biblical archaeology. Right. So, yeah, if you put, um, if you use the traditional chronology and Abraham's living uh, 2100 or 2000 BC, that's what we call the intermediate Bronze Age. And like I say, the the cities that he visits are not there. But if if, um, you realize that these numbers in scripture, these lifespans, uh, were never meant to create a chronology. In fact, nobody created a chronology until almost the time of Christ. Uh, No culture anywhere. It started with the Greeks, uh, the earliest 300 BC, and so uh, even if they had, uh, even if they wrote down lifespans, which we see in the Bible, nobody thought that they would use those to create a chronology. Uh, They didn't. They didn't have an objective system for the year that they were in, or the decade, or the um, century, or you know the era. We talk about you know a decade like the 80s, or we talk about an era like the the Bronze Age or something. They didn't do that. They they just had a a um, basically the the fourth year of such and such king, but it wasn't tied to an objective system. It was just tied to that king. So um, they didn't think about the idea. There's no evidence that people thought about putting things in a chronology. And when you realize. These uh, numbers were not meant to create a chronology. They were meant for a different purpose, to communicate something different. You're free to put Abraham where he fits, and the, the uh, cities and even the cultural practices fit much, much better in what we call the Middle Bronze II age, from about 1800 BC to about 1550 BC. And it turns out that if, if the patriarchs are living during that time, they can do all of the things that happen in the Bible. They can travel. They have long-distance marriages. The, the price of slaves fits. Jerusalem is there, so you can have Melchizedek. Uh, you know, all of the things start to fall into place, and so it just makes a lot more sense to do that. But it's, it's kind of difficult for us to accept that, well, wait a minute, these numbers may mean something different than we assume when we take a look at them from our modern Point of view. Well,
3: how, especially when it be, I'm sorry, Ralph. Go ahead. How hard was the translation? Based on you know, like you were well, you were saying, and and what I've I've looked at, you know, things they didn't start putting it down until about 300 years before uh, mm-hmm. BC. How did you find the translation from the different languages? Because you have people writing down what is oral history in their culture in different languages, and then you, so you have two or three languages there, and then how did how hard did you find to find that information, and then to translate it but not only translate it figure out from what culture it came and what changes were made based on Mm -hmm. that person's interpretation who came from a different land
4: yeah no a lot of that's already published when i'm looking at the sumerian king list or akkadian or or, um uh uh, the hittites uh that's already published in in textbooks and in dusty tomes that i can find in the library and that's, that's what a PhD is, is sitting in a library, you know, <laughs> poring <laughs> over <laughs> these textbooks and, and growing cobwebs. All of that's already translated and published. And so in my dissertation, I had to I mean, refer to some original language texts. What I tried to do in the book is, is not do that, just deal with English and just quote English so that people can, can go find the resources themselves. A lot of it actually is online. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find the Sumerian King List online and learn a lot about that. Um, uh, it's, it's not only transliterated, but it's translated. And so um, uh, you can find that online and, and do as much detailed uh, diving in as you want to. So, a question that I have for you is this: mm-hmm. When do you believe that the book of Genesis was written? Yeah, that's a good question. And so i I still believe that Moses wrote the book of Genesis, in fact, the the Pentateuch, uh, after the Exodus, on the plains of Moab, you know, before entering the the promised land. Now, um, not not every evangelical will hold that, but but I do. I think there was one author. Now, obviously, he was using prior sources, right? Right. So Abraham lived a long time before Moses, and then you're going even further to Noah and floods and creation, all of that, right? So I believe that some of the sources that he used were written. Uh, There may have been oral uh, transmission, absolutely. We have no way of knowing one way or other if it's oral because we have nothing. And in fact, we don't have any of the written sources that he would have used. Uh, All we have is the text of the scripture.
5: So Uh, you you
0: think that because Moses would have compiled this, then that there's a possibility he's using other sources, but it could have been considered like, not really multiple authors, but he could have inserted something from a previous author into his book.
4: Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So So like Genesis
0: 1 and Genesis 2, those big arguments, is it quite possible that Genesis 1 could have been inserted after the fact? You see where I'm going with that? like I'm just saying if he compiled it, was that a written treaty that was separate from his writings that was entered into later?
4: I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I'm just asking you if that's a possibility it's yeah, it's a possibility, so I'm definitely not on the the j e d p you know documentary hypothesis train i i don't I don't think that at all okay well I, th- saying, I think
3: that's a really good point
4: yeah. Actually, when you look at the book of Genesis, it's arranged around uh, 10 um, genealogies. Uh, what, what the word in Hebrew was uh, tolodot, And so it's arranged around these 10 it's, it's, uh That word is repeated 10 times. And uh, so it seems like, you know, it gives to, you know, here's the, the genealogy or this is what happened to Terah, for example. And then it goes on from Terah, Abraham and Isaac, and, da, 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 da. and then it goes to. This is the toledote of so and so, right? And so it seems to me that's a much better way to understand how Genesis was composed: is that it was arranged around these ten genealogies. And I believe that you know they would have used a a a clay tablet uh, uh, with probably cuneiform or some sort of you know writing on there, and um, it's it makes much more sense to me. That, that a clay tablet may have had a list of names with something about that person on there, and that uh, then Moses used those as the backbone and then, and then filled in the narrative uh, around that. Now, uh, what and, would uh, be uh,
0: w- when do you believe that Moses lived? Like, what time in chronology, like in, in,
4: in yeah. our time? And so I, I'm going for a late date of the Exodus. Uh, so that's the 13th century, maybe around 1250 uh, BC. Uh, Some people go with an early date around uh, 1400, or you know, the traditionalists say 1446 was the date of the Exodus. Uh, There's there's two major camps you know, the early Exodus, the late Exodus. Uh, I'm going with the late one, uh, but I don't mind, you can go with the early one. Well, how does that, and so how does that fit based on what you say in
0: regard to, so the Exodus, um, if Abraham, um, like when God mm-hmm. tells Abraham that his people are going to be in bondage for 400 years,
2: mm-hmm.
0: does that 400 yeah. years fit to get to Moses, or is that another one of those numbers that bounce around?
4: Right, so I think um, the a lot of the numbers, uh, including the 400 years, Uh, are symbolic numbers or, in some cases, rounded numbers. Gotcha. So So we're not taking
0: it literal, authentic. We're we're just – those numbers are going to be used that way throughout the book of Genesis. The author is going to – it's going to be used the same way all the way through the whole book. Okay. That makes
3: sense. I think a lot of times we assume chronology – is set the way things are laid out, and it's not necessarily to happen that way. I take, for example, everyone thinks that uh, the Declaration of Independence was signed at the same time because the picture shows everyone there, but uh, that was several months that people kept coming and going to sign it, and I think mm-hmm. a chronology wow. is uh, we don't know exactly when it was all put together. They they finally put together a book after Jesus, but yeah. uh, all of these other books uh, came together at different times by different people.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly, and so we, you know, we have limited evidence. Um, you know, and, and archaeology. Hopefully, will will dig up more stuff and we'll find more information. But we're going off the evidence we have uh, to try and piece together. And, and the exciting thing about archaeology is, it helps us see things a little differently. And a lot of our uh, interpretations of scripture have have changed. And it's not that scripture was wrong, but that perhaps our interpretation was incorrect. And so that's the exciting thing, I think. You know, the Bible text is the text. It's been studied. It's the most studied book in history. It's the most debated book in history. And, you know, it's the most read book in history. But uh, sometimes archaeology is helping us discover things. And in some cases, I think, rediscover the original wording or the original meaning of uh, the biblical text.
1: This episode is brought to you by Carolina Cases. Whether in your home, auto, suitcase, or hotel room, you can be assured that with Carolina Cases, you can protect what matters most. Carolina Cases are TSA-approved, so you know your items are secured in a shock and impact-proof hard case. These lightweight, durable cases come with pre-cut, protective, high-quality foam to fit your pistols by make and model, compact size or full size. They also come in a universal configuration for multiple options. Carolina Cases are more than a pistol case. They are available in fully customizable foam to protect what matters. You can go to their website at www.CarolinaCases.net to see their designer protective lid designs. Each is laser engraved to give you unmatched style at home or on the range. So protect what matters most. Visit www.CarolinaCases.net. That's www.CarolinaCases.net. Enter code BURROWS at checkout to receive free shipping. That's right. Just enter the code BURROWS at checkout and you will receive free shipping. That's B-U-R-R-O-S.
3: I like that you did this study and you talked about language and archaeology together, but uh, mm-hmm. did you find a predominant language when you were doing this that this all goes back to, And or were there several languages, and did those other languages, the timing of those other languages, affect how this was interpreted uh, by the people in those times? And could that yeah. be some of the reasons for uh, how we understand uh, the timing of things?
4: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And the text of the Scripture, when it comes to numbers, is very clear. Uh, there's, there's no textual problems. And in Genesis, uh, in fact, throughout the Old Testament, the numbers are written out as words. You know, it's written as 175 years, uh, Abraham's lifespan. It doesn't have the symbol 175.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, did you, didn't you did you write that 175, something yes. like that? Yeah. I, I thought that was interesting. I'd, I'd never heard that before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah. when you look at the way they write out the Greek numerology, you can see it, but mm-hmm. I hadn't yeah. thought of that in relationship to this before.
4: Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, the, t- the script that we have, our Old Testament, is the square, they call it the square uh, Aramaic uh, based script, the Hebrew script, is actually a different script than what uh, Moses would have written uh, if, if indeed he did you know, write the Pentateuch uh, during the Late Bronze Age. The script that we have is more from the time of Solomon. And so, you know, there's there's kind of a, already a translation there. and we don't have anything other than what we have. We, we only have this script. And so that's what we're going from, and, and that's what we're... But uh, no, most would have used a different uh, script based on the Phoenician alphabet. Mm. It's still Hebrew, uh, but it would have looked different. And so you're you're having people copying and translating uh, the scripture even way back then. Uh, now, you know, we believe that God kept it and, and God preserved his scripture through time. Uh, but you know, there's there's there yeah, there's an issue there of, of uh, translation and, and the different script. So obviously
0: your view does not match the view of the young earth creation movement, correct? So Room. Have you have you been met with opposition, like strong opposition against your work?
4: No, not really, uh, not not so much. Are you ready? No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm I just mean, kid. I
1: found a uh, uh, Answers in Genesis. He took you to task pretty good.
0: Who was who this? He did
1: yeah, I sent y'all the link. Oh, I oh
0: yeah, I read. that. Oh, we need to send the link to you, oh, doctor. Somebody took Dennis- you to task, <laughs> sir.
1: Oh, yeah, they nice. cited, they actually cited your book and everything. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah, you did
0: send us that. Story, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Huh? What we'll, what I'll yeah. do, Dr. Olson, fantastic is I'll email that. that to you and then you can get into a proper fist fight with these people. But I <laughs> can't wait. I can tell. <laughs> He's uh-huh. like, please. <laughs> hey, let's have a debate. Yeah. Yeah. Come yeah. out here and we'll film it. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I think that, um, Obviously, from my perspective, where where I was raised in Western North Carolina, here in the Southern United States, mm-hmm. young Earth creation is a predominant view. But then again, so are a lot of other views that, um, as I've become, you know, more and more studied, I found that aren't necessarily you know they're traditional, but not aren't necessarily correct or perfect, which is fine. Um, so having a different view of it, um, in, in your opinion, when science says the universe is how old? billion years? Or Mm -hmm. is that how old the earth is? Which one is the earth? Four point something? I can't remember.
5: Yeah.
0: Earth is four and a half billion, four and a half billion years. So what is your opinion? Is the earth, do you agree with science or do you believe, because some people believe that the earth was created, uh, believers believe that the earth was created in six literal 24 days. I know 24 hour days. I know you, that you put that in your book that you talk about that. What is your, can you tell us your opinion?
4: Yes, uh, absolutely. I, I'm an old earth creationist. And I believe God created the earth, but it is not a few thousand years old. It's, it's billions of years old. And I don't, I don't believe that Genesis was ever written or intended to give us a chronology all the way back to creation. I think the idea that shepherds uh, living in a tent who were Ill- illiterate, the idea that they had some sort of uh, special... Uh, knowledge of the exact chronology back to creation is, is unsupported they, they would never have thought that they had no need of that. I mean, in our modern world, we want to know about the dates and the times and the chronology. Uh, but there's no evidence that, that people during that time did that, or even asked those questions. And so I did I, want to th-
1: clarify, it wasn't Ken Ham who wrote the article. It was a man named Simon Turpin
4: okay on okay. December
1: 6 2022 so it's a couple of years old.
2: May, may I put something in that's related but not exactly on task uh, yeah. so with James Webb they've uh just recently like kind of made a composite photo of a couple of the oldest I, I don't know if it's I think it's galaxies but it might be it galactic is.
0: clusters they, they say it's the oldest formed galaxies from in regard to the Big bang
2: right okay so there's no way. Those galaxies could be formed the way they're formed and how well they're formed or whatever. Yeah. Uh, in the amount of time they would have had past the Bing ba- mm-hmm. Big Bang, given how old they are, you know, based yes. on how far away they are, there's no way.
3: Well, and they just found the a, math new, a, a math. new black hole that they f- right. they feel is the oldest black hole, and those take a long time to form. So... Well
0: uh-huh. there's also yeah and and because of that people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and what is his name Miko Kikuchi or whatever <laughs> they are saying that all the textbooks are going to have to be rewritten because now the web is in my opinion as we you know as we go on in the future those it's always
2: going to change I, I think that I agree. we're going to well, learn more and more and more sorry it's just that was exciting news and it's new to me and i'm like yeah yee, yee, new, so new let's geek talk news. about
0: something that maybe Sarita could even jump in on this Sarita so what would you say is what would be the threat of having an old Earth view to a person that is a young Earth creationist? Why do you think that they would be so diametrically opposed to this view?
4: Yeah, it's a good question because young Earth creationists, and I, and I was when I grew up like that, um, you, you really feel threatened. Mm-hmm. Because you, you go to a movie or, you know, like Jurassic Park or you visit the Grand Canyon or you go to school uh, or go to college and your view is assaulted everywhere you turn. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're a young earth creationist. And so they um, they get to feel very defensive. Literal.
2: People that take the, Bib- the Bible literally as they see it uh, when you change ages and stuff, you're attacking their whole, the whole religion. Yeah. Whole, not just whole, that thing you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. It's like my God didn't know how to
0: write. You're telling me that my God didn't know how to, how to communicate to people is what you're exactly. saying. And, and that's, it's unfortunate that we would take that kind of a, a stance. And I was that kind of a person too. I yeah. had that, <clears throat> I was a hyper literalist about everything. And um, right. I didn't change my view because I learned something from science necessarily. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I changed my view because I began I began to see that there was no reason I, that all of these people that were discussing these topics were just trying to lie or to hurt me or deceive me. Right. That wasn't what was going on. But I, I had a very mm-hmm. – I guess it's – I would say that I was very small-minded for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying yeah. that's true for everyone. I'm just saying that that's, that, I, that was me. And so yeah. I would be threatened by that. I'm no longer threatened by that. I'm old earth as well. Um,
2: but for now, Rick, it's just bears for Rick. (laughs) Yeah, Rick is threatened by bears. (laughs) Oh,
0: that's the only thing that scares me. That and Greg, our our cat here in the studio. I think I frustrated every
3: pastor I ever had because I I questioned everything. Right, because Mm -hmm. I traveled a lot as a young kid and saw things, Mm -hmm. and then they would talk about dates, and then you go to church and they talk about other dates, and then I'd say, well, what about this and what about this, and you know, until I was twenty, I heard have faith, have faith, have faith, and then after 20, I'm like, uh-huh. yeah, I'm out of this church, and I'm gonna go to somebody who's at least gonna give me an answer or I can find some answers, which brings me to your book. I, I, I loved your book, and I hated your book. Um, I, uh-huh. I, I loved your book because uh-huh. it has a lot of points, and there's a lot of things in there that I question. What I didn't like about uh-huh. it is, is it made me do a lot of research. It made me look up a lot of things. Okay. I made a lot of notes on this, and I'm like, okay, there's there's a lot uh-huh. of stuff yeah, I do Ralph hates
0: oh. to read. He, There's a lot of stuff I
3: don't know, so um, <laughs> uh-huh. it, it made yeah. me. It, and now it's it's left me with a lot more questions that I had when I started it.
0: Which is beautiful. I think that's how it always works, isn't it, Ralph? Yeah, unfortunately I, for me. And I think, and <laughs> you know, we're about to wrap up our time here, Doctor Olson. But so I want to tell I want to tell our audience here. So your book is called "How Old Was Father Abraham." The Genesis Lifespans and Light of Archaeology. And uh, thank you, Dr. Olson. You actually uh, sent us an autographed copy to each one of us. So <laughs> thank you for that. that thank was, you. Yeah, it was very nice. Oh, thank you. You're well, very welcome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And so people, uh, this was put out by Trowel Press out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. You can go on and search uh, uh, Craig Olson. And the book again is How Old Was Father Abraham? The Genesis Lifespans and Light of Archaeology. And since this was a testimony, Sarita, uh, this, this might take you, if you like, again, if you've never heard our podcast and you're not going to know, this might come out of left field, but would you ask the final question we always ask every guest?
1: Sure. So Dr. Olson or Dr. Craig.
2: Yeah.
1: When you die as a believer, what happens next? Where do you go? What do you, what, what is, What's next? Not oh, exactly how, he, that's not exactly how Billy asks it, but it's close.
4: Yeah. yeah. What do you believe? Uh, to be yeah. Where do honest? you
1: believe? What do you believe happens when you die?
4: Uh, when you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord.
1: That's what and I so. said. I must be pretty smart. <laughs> I Answered like a PhD. Like a PhD. Word. Word. Oh. <laughs> that's. Wonderful. I only have a bachelor's. Look at me go. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and you know, we, we asked the last question, and then all of a sudden, the uh, one of the most important questions that I wanted to ask you. So I'm sorry, we're not done yet. I do have one more question for you. He no lied.
1: Problem. That's in the Bible.
0: In the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, you know that w- there are plenty of numbers that are used for prophecy, apocalyptic mm-hmm. languages and these numbers. So right. uh, in a lot of in a lot of the studies that I've seen, like whenever Daniel describes the 70 weeks of years and they determine that it's 490 years and they use the Jewish mm-hmm. calendar of 360 days, uh, some mm-hmm. people will use those literally. They'll look to a specific dynasty, a Medo-Persian dynasty, they'll set a number, it'll land when the Messiah came. Are we to look at those numbers as literal? And then when you get to Revelation and you start to see all of this symbology— Like, for Mm -hmm. instance, when he says there are seven churches, and we know he actually calls out the seven churches, but in the sense that he says um, a a 1,000-year reign, are we to look at that as a literal number or symbolic? Do you see what I mean? And how do we determine both? You're looking at ages uh, in Genesis. Have you looked into any of this in regard to, like, Daniel
4: or the later apocalyptic languages? Yeah, a Prophecy and Apocalyptic, uh, and there's a great book out um, that you probably know of, uh, uh, Plowshares and Pruning Hooks, uh, Brent Sandy on this. I've oh, never heard thing, of that book. Oh, you, you have to read it. It's fantastic. What would you, would you say the title one more time? It's Plowshares and Pruning Hooks is the title of the book. Uh, okay. The author is Brent Sandy, S-A-N-D-Y. Brent Sandy, okay. And you, uh, yeah, look it up on Amazon. Uh Make sure I've got the title right. I may have it incorrect. The interesting thing that I learned when I looked at that uh, is that prophecy and apocalyptic, uh, when looking to the future, uh, nobody understood it uh, until after the fact. Mm -hmm. Even prophecies, because in Scripture we have prophecies that are given, and then we see the fulfillment, and the fulfillment is often quite different from the prophecy. Mm. So the simplest one is, is Paul in the book of Acts is going to Jerusalem and somebody, a prophet, gives a, a message and ties up Paul's hands with his own belt and says, Thus, this way, in this way, the owner of this belt will be tied up by the Romans uh, or by the, by the, uh, by the Sanhedrin. Uh, now, Paul does go to Jerusalem. He does get arrested. But he's never tied up with his own belt. And it wasn't the Sanhedrin who arrested him. It was the Romans. And it, so it didn't turn out exactly the way you know it was prophesied at all. So prophecy is is very much uh, more general and more picturesque and more big picture than it is specifics. And so it's, it's an interesting, uh, fascinating study when you look at, you know, uh, and in Daniel too, you have... Uh, the book of Daniel, you have some prophecies that are prophesied and then fulfilled. And when you look at that, the the big, the big answer that I got out of all of that was, you're not going to know prophecy until after it happens. And then you're going to look back and say, oh, that's what that meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of us, um, even the best of us, looking forward after a prophecy or an apocalyptic lit- uh, picture is given, looking forward, are not going to understand the fulfillment until afterwards and then we look back and go oh you know what that all fits yeah and
0: i've I'm said sorry. here in this podcast many times i've I've looked at andy and i'm saying man these jews were so good at prophecy it's almost like they wrote it after it happened <laughs> 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 when you look in history you know what i mean like that's that's what it it feels like they're well, looking I mean, back you know well,
4: and, and that's the view of of some people, of our, of our um, you know, the liberal scholars is that, oh, yeah, it was written afterwards because it's too accurate. Isn't a history always written in the future?
5: Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's, it's just a matter of how yeah, far. It's it true. is. Well,
0: I certainly appreciate you uh, taking your time out and being on our podcast. It means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot to us here. And um, guys, go again. Like I said, do you have a website by any chance? I do not, okay. I don't have a
4: book, but I do have a page on uh, academia.edu, so uh, you can look up look me up on academia.edu and I have uh, two or three articles there that, that uh, summarize the book. You can get those for free and uh, dig into my uh, footnotes and uh, print those out and take a look at that and of course you can get the book.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you guys, again, if you go where you clicked on this podcast, if you look in the body of that paragraph, I will have a link to Dr. Olson's book so that you can uh, purchase that book. And I will also put a link to that academia.edu uh, where you can find Dr. Olson's work. So again, mm-hmm. his book, How Old Was Father Abraham? The Genesis Lifespans and Light of Archaeology. Dr. Olson, thanks so much for being on the show. That was fascinating.
4: Yeah, thank That was yes, fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Appreciate it, guys. Thanks.
0: Absolutely. Well, take care. You too. Okay. Bye bye.
2: Bye bye. He seems very cool, and and like that's fascinating.
0: Yeah, that was a that was a fascinating, the the book. Like for me, it was difficult to read. A little but that's, hard for you, yeah. Well, yeah. But mean, how old is Abraham? Huh? I missed the whole. I'm sorry that I came in late. He didn't say. He didn't. No, he didn't. Um, oh. But if we were to guess, I would say he's somewhere between 400 and 500 years old. Do you get the joke? <laughs> get the joke? The dude's really educated, so I highly honored him. Anyway, well, Rick, I'm sorry that yeah, you, I'm you missed so, you know, such a dud. You're not a dud. You just, you had to drive from Columbia, bro. Yeah, yeah. 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 Completely reasonable. <laughs> Rita, thanks for being here. Thanks for, um, yeah. And you know it. That, that article uh, by that guy from, from Answers in Genesis, Andy, Ralph, Cherry. Rick, <laughs> thanks for being here. We will talk to you guys again next time on the Burrows of Berea. Peace out.
1: See ya. Later. Later.
0: Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for The Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.